Welcome to the Moms Who Roll the World podcast, a podcast for busy moms who are in between rolling the world and losing their shit. Motherhood isn't easy, but so much better when we can come together and inspire each other with real stories, honest words, and a whole lot of moms ruling the world. Because we're all in this together, and that's the very best place to be. We've got this, Mama. Hi, moms. Welcome to another episode of the Moms Who Rule the World podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. And I hope wherever you're listening from that you are having a wonderful day. Oh, you guys, today's podcast, it may give you goosebumps. It may bring tears to your eyes. It may make you really think, but I promise you it's going to be a story that you will never forget. And it really is a story of triumph and doing every single thing you can to make it work when you're faced with a situation that you wouldn't wish on anyone. Jacqueline reached out to me about being on the podcast. She had written a book, which we will get into, and she wanted to talk about it. And I am always incredibly inspired by authors, by mamas who are getting their work out into the world. And so I bought it. And it became clear within a few paragraphs of reading her book that this was unlike anything I had ever read. It wasn't a book. It was a survival guide written after Jacqueline was placed in the hardest situation you could imagine. It was written for others who may ever be put in a similar situation. And honestly, after reading it, I needed and I wanted to know more. So I called Jacqueline on the phone and I remember talking to her in my car while it was raining, while my baby girl Milo was sleeping in the back. And I literally had to pull my car over so that I could take in all that she was saying to me. This is no joke. So you guys get ready for the more. So without going any further, hi, Jacqueline. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How is your day going so far? It's going pretty well. It's nice out and uh, I have my iced coffee going, so I can't complain. Oh, iced coffee is always a good thing. I've already had two iced coffees today, which is probably more caffeine than anyone should ingest. I hear you. So Jacqueline and I, I will say, just had to go many tech steps to make this podcast happen because our program was not letting me hear her voice. So... I think somebody deserves to give us a trophy for just making it to this point today, but... Absolutely. So Jacqueline, we are going to get into what your book, Making Ends Meet with a Popcorn Popper, is all about. But first, if you wanted to start and just share your story and share what your life was like before your world kind of got turned upside down and what happened from there. Sure, uh, absolutely. Well, I was, like many people, married to my husband for well over 10 years. We had a beautiful home, nice uh, home with two beautiful children. Uh, We had our ups and downs, like many uh, couples do, um, but mostly ups. Uh, You know, we struggled sometimes financially. I had my just been recovering from postpartum depression, um, but things were seemingly back on track. And I had started to stay home with my children after a very long, successful career in uh, the business world. After about 
17 years or so and had to go back to work to help support the family part-time. And although I wasn't very happy about it, I did what I needed to do. But one day I learned that my husband uh, wasn't who he said he was. And this was in the course of 24 hours. He had been stealing my identity, my money, my children's money, and he had been in charge of the bills since I had been staying home. And I learned in this matter of 24 hours, uh, he hadn't been paying the bills and our house was in foreclosure. And since I had been the breadwinner for so many years, all these bills had been in my name. And my credit had been pretty darn good for so many years. And my credit went from nearly 800 to about 500. Just about all the bills were in default except for just a couple bills like an insurance policy and maybe an internet bill. So it was pretty much a shock. My, I had 401ks gone. Again, the house was in foreclosure. The kids' money was gone. And we didn't have very much. Weren't your cars being repossessed when you learned about this too? We had one car at the time, at that point, and it was about to be repossessed. And... It, it was a it was a scary time because when somebody isn't who they say they are uh, and they get caught, um, they become a different person. So the man who I thought I knew for, you know, just about 11 years became a scary person and I became in fear of him. It still gives me goosebumps just hearing you talk about everything that happened to you so quickly. So basically in a matter of a day, you became a single mom and everything that was financially comfortable, your bank accounts and your cars, your house, it was all leaving, <laughs> if not at that moment in a, ma- in a short period of time. Yeah. So it, yeah, nothing was what I thought it was. And we, we lived under the same roof for a couple of weeks and it became necessary for my children and I to leave to a secret place while he uh, became more and more erratic. And eventually uh, he left and went to some other place that we weren't really even sure of. And we had to make sure it was safe for us to go back home. And when we got back home, the house was in disarray and we could no longer afford it. And we were forced to go to a food pantry to to even um, get enough food to, to feed uh, the children. So we were in pretty bad shape. And the, the house became command central, so to speak, where we just sort of started gathering all the, the bills that were in default. And my father and I just started calling creditor and collectors and, and lawyers after and representatives one after another to just sort of see where things stood. And it was putting fire out after fire. And every fire we put out, we'd find, you know, two or three more fires. And it was, it was just shock and awe. Uh, It was unbelievable the amount of damage, financial damage that had been caused. And it, it was so bad that 
you know, my credit was so bad that I couldn't even be seen by a doctor at one point because the doctor bills were in default. And uh, it, it was just beyond your wildest dreams. And this is, you know, known as financial abuse. It's the type of abuse that people don't really talk about or, or know much about. Typically think of domestic abuse as physical abuse or emotional or verbal and psychological. And those things are real. And uh, certainly the financial abuse led to some of those things in the course of my marriage. But financial abuse is certainly a very real and serious type of domestic abuse as well. And it can cripple the spouse and make it very difficult for that spouse to uh, have freedom to take care of themselves or their children and to live a healthy and happy life. Yes, definitely. I mean, you know, you do hear of things like fraud and identity theft, and you imagine if that were to happen to you, that it's like somebody that lives far, far away that somehow got a hold of your information and things took place, but you don't really think that your spouse is going to do that. Or, you know, this person very close to you that has access to all of your important information. And I know personally, I'm right there with you. My husband does all of the bills. He is just much, much better at it than I am. Like I have very little information about what goes on with our finances. And it's just, it's just a lot to know all that you've gone through and all that happened in such a short period of time. Yeah, it's, it was scary. And, you know, the, for those couple of weeks that we lived under the same roof, I remember sleeping with my purse and my cell phone and my work computer because at that time I was working part time. I remember sleeping with it. And every time I went to the bathroom, taking it in the bathroom with me and everywhere I went, uh, because, you know, I had learned that he was going into my purse to, you know, send 401k companies, you know, a picture of my ID and forging my signature just to withdraw you know, my investments from when I was the breadwinner and do, I don't know what with the money and creating debts in my name on top of the money he stole and pretending to be me. And, you know, there's transcripts of, of things like that, of, of him claiming to be me. And, and, you know, it's just, a, it's just a terrible feeling when you, you trusted somebody for so long and, Finding crumpled up pieces of of uh, your credit card numbers and your name, you know, in the back of your 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 uh, husband's closet, and knowing that he stole that information. Yeah. So, um, just to give you guys listening some reference, um, and we are not going to talk too much about specifics of anything, but when this happened to Jacqueline. So she had two children and the littlest one was legitimately still in diapers. So she finds herself with nothing, as we're talking about. All of the accounts are gone. And your book is very to the point. It's a short read. It is about if someone were to pick it up, like 
okay, this just happened to you. This, these are the steps you need to take to just survive, basically. So I know you talk about turning your kitchen into command central where you, you know, just take inventory of what you have left and what you can access. And then I know one of the first things you did after that, when you knew that you were going to lose your house was to have an estate sale and sell all of your things. And I like how in the book you say, this is not a yard sale. Do not call it a yard sale. It, if, if it was a yard sale, then people would not understand that you are starting over. Like an estate sale sends a message that some life-changing event has taken place. Do you want to talk a little bit more about just quickly selling so many of your things to try to access cash? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I was actually just talking about this with a friend the other day. It's funny that we're talking about this uh, hadn't, you know, twice in one week because I don't usually talk about it, but it, it's true. It's There's a big difference between a yard sale and an estate sale. People, um, when they go to an estate sale, seem to have a different amount of respect, if you will, or composure for an estate sale than they do for a garage sale. And I think it's because they understand that it's a, it's a life event has happened, whether it's a death or, or something. And, and they just, you know, there may be some negotiation going on, but it's just, I don't know. There's a different attitude that, that occurs and uh, a different understanding, if you will. And I needed to empty out that house as much as I could because I knew it was going, you know, it was in foreclosure and I needed to get into a much smaller apartment uh, quickly. If I was, my attitude was, if I'm going to touch it, whatever the item in, is, I might as well try to sell it. If I couldn't, I was going to donate it or have to throw it away. So I um, put together, you know, a sign and you know, what you do. And I advertised it as an estate sale. And I made a lot of money. I sold everything and the kitchen table. And I mean it, the kitchen table. The next uh, little while, we literally ate around my art drawing table. You know, those little toddler drawing tables that kids have. We ate our suppers there which sounds pretty sad, but we needed to sell everything to gain as much cash as possible to start our lives over. So we sold furniture, we sold lawn tools, we sold uh, the snowblower, we sold, you know, linens, clothes, you know, some of the big toys, unfortunately, had to go. We, we had to sell, uh, you know, everything we could think of kitchen dishes that we were never going to use everything I could think of and we got rid of it and uh, we raised a lot of cash and because we called it an estate sale I feel like we were taken more seriously what were you telling your kid during this time because I know your little one was in diapers so wouldn't have understood but your older one most certainly would understand that Something big was happening and we were selling all of our stuff. So what did you tell them? It's interesting. First of all, the little one, 
uh, who had always been kind of cranky and introverted, actually became quite social and happy (laughs) during this time, which was remarkable to me. And I'll just say that and leave that there. (laughs) Um, And my older one, you know, we really didn't know what we didn't know at that time. We were still uncovering more and more information. You know, I was still finding out things as I was clearing out the house. For example, I would find a bag of a year's worth of unopened mail addressed to me. You know, that's more information. I was still finding out more secrets and and lies about my soon-to-be ex-husband. So there wasn't a clear story to really tell. And I made a vow to myself and ultimately to him that I would never lie to him because I feel and I felt like he had so much taken without his consent from him, not only his biological father, but, you know, his home, his way of life, his, you know, the world he knew around him at that time, you know, just the truth, you know, was never given to him that I was always going to be honest with him. And until I really knew more, all I could tell him was what I knew at the time. And all I knew was that he, he had left and it wasn't his fault. And, and that his father loves him as much as he can. Yeah. I can't imagine how hard that must have been. And for you to be so strong for him, I mean, I can only believe that he appreciated you just being direct and as much as you could be honest with him and that he was with his mama because I'm sure he knew that you weren't leaving. (laughs) No, and that's something else I always reassured him is that I was here to stay no matter what. You know, and I I also, as he would grow, I would tell him, you know, that his um, biological father, you know, made a lot of mistakes and didn't own up to them. And we all make mistakes and I make mistakes, you know, he makes mistakes, but it's very important to own up to them. And, you know, and again, that his biological father loves him as much as he's able to. You know, and that none of this is his fault. Yeah. And that I'm not going anywhere. No. So in your book, you have all these different sections, all these different chapters. You know, one section is about calling the electrical companies and asking for if they could lower your rate, which is super smart and something I wouldn't think of. You have a section on getting groceries and the best way to coupon and really save. And I just am so impressed that like in each and every way of your book, you present what you were doing with dignity. Like, yes, you have to do these things. And yes, they are a complete 180 from where life was before. But you just you go about it with like respect for yourself and dignity about the situation as much as you can. I know there's the one chapter that I really liked was about feeling pretty. I believe that's what you called it too, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And you're saying, you know, that you before 
loved makeup and, you know, expensive skincare products, but that even in this situation that you wanted to hold your head high and look presentable and you talk about buying a dollar eyelash curler and a time when you just had like a couple of minutes to go into your house and grab some things when you were safe with your father. And one of the things you grabbed was your mascara. And I swear like that scene could be a movie, but do you want to just talk about any of that a little bit more? (laughs) Sure. I mean, it is kind of silly when you think about it. Um, cause my dad was standing guard and I think I had a plastic bag and had to grab a few things while, while I could. And, and I swear it's not the only thing I grabbed, but I did grab my eyelash curler and some mascara. But, um, you know, I think about my mom always told me when you're scared to whistle a happy tune. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it comes from uh, the movie, The King and I. And she used to tell us that when we were kids. And I remember whenever I was scared, I'd actually start whistling or singing. And it kind of got me through things. And I think this is sort of a departure from that. Whenever I need to feel in control or a little bit you know, better about myself, I, I try to feel a little bit more presentable. And uh, that's a really inexpensive way to do so. And I think one of the first beauty tips I ever noticed was uh, from my very pretty sister, who has gorgeous eyes, seeing her curl her eyelashes and put mascara on and just sort of stuck with me. And, you know, I think that's that's probably where that all comes from. But it's just the thing I do. And. I still do it today. I curl my eyelashes. If I have time for nothing else, I do that. And I feel naked if I don't. It's kind of silly. No, I understand. And I'm glad that day you were able to grab your mascara. It's probably just like one little tiny piece of happiness during that really tough time. And, you know, your book is obviously written when things were really hard, really, really hard. And it's written to help people if they are going through something really, really hard, like financial crisis, basically. But I also believe that there are lessons and tips in it for everyone, because I don't know of anybody that isn't trying to save money here or there, or isn't like looking for ways that they could do better. And I just look around my own home after reading through your book and you know, there's, there's so much excess. There really is. Like if you boiled it down, there would be so little you truly do need. And I just think it was important and powerful to read through it and just think about things like, wow, I, I could do that. And like one of the examples that you mentioned that I liked was about the one day your Keurig broke, like your Keurig broke. And most of us would think, as you had said in the book that you would have done previously, Like, okay, so it's broken. So let me just run out and get a new one. Or like, let me Amazon Prime something. But going through this, it made you think with every purchase, like, do I really need this? Like, do I truly need this? And in the book, you say about you had another coffee pot where the old filter method where you put the coffee beans in the top and you realize like, this is fine. Like, this works too. Like, I don't need to replace everything. Are you... 
still, do you still live that way? Like has all of this just made that a philosophy in your life? Sometimes I still have that coffee pot actually. Uh, it's on my counter and it looks a little ragged around the edges, but you know what? It works. And I have no plans to get a Keurig. And I wrote that quite a while ago because it's, it's been a while since writing it and the publishing uh, happened. So still haven't gone out and gotten a Keurig and I don't think I want one anymore. I think after all these years, you're, you're good to go. You and the Mr. Coffee. (laughs) So when did things start to look better? Like when did you started to see some sort of little light at the end of the tunnel through having to go through all of this trauma? I think it comes in fits and starts. You know, there's not one day where you go, ah, you know, everything's okay. You know, I don't think I felt all the emotional relief all at once. Uh, Because I was too busy surviving, if you will. But I did start to feel uh, happier uh, pretty soon, even though I was under such a tremendous amount of stress. I didn't realize how unhealthy my marriage had been um, until, you know, he was gone. And, you know, as as poor as we were, um, we were... I learned a lot of lessons, you know, how, how we can have um, such joy in our lives, you know, pretty early on with, with next to nothing. So I started healing in different ways early on in an emotional way, but I'm not sure if that's your question. No, that's an amazing answer. So I know it sounds like while everything was happening, it was almost like, know, the fight or flight took over, like you did what needed to be done because you needed to make it happen so that you could live in a home and have groceries and have diapers and have the electricity turned on. But I know we talked about that later you were diagnosed with PTSD, which I think I would be too from everything you went through. So when did that emotional toll like start to come out when the initial shock was over? I think I would say that the diagnosis probably came maybe a year and a half afterwards. You know, it was a pretty rough, the shock and awe went for, you know, a few months anyways of of just discovery of so many lies. And, you know, it was just a house of cards I had been living in. And, um, you know, there was so much to do as far as um, safeguarding my own children's identity, because if uh, he could so easily steal my identity, you know, my children have uh, his surname. So it, it, it wasn't a, you know, far leap to think that he could easily do the same to his own children. So I, I went to great lengths to to secure their identity um, by changing, you know, their last names and getting new social security numbers for them and um, just getting them safe. So there was so much to do. And so I was just so busy and I obviously had to work and I had to work a lot and I had to get back on my feet. And 
I uh, had to go on transitional assistance, you know, and the, you know, like food stamps and and things like that, and and that was hard for me for someone who had never uh, been on assistance before, and it was it was humbling, but it was necessary, and I was very grateful for it. And it's there for people who need it. And I definitely needed it. And my, and my children uh, definitely needed it. And before we get back to the podcast, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, moms. I wanted to take a minute and tell you about my new love for matcha tea. I first heard about matcha tea on a podcast when I was pregnant from Kristen Bell, who was talking about how she drinks it every day. And no, we are not friends in real life. But matcha tea has quickly become my new favorite drink. Matcha tea has half the caffeine of coffee, but releases it over an extended period of time, so there is no crash. It also has antioxidants and calming L-theanine, which help me not lose my cool when my toddler is in the middle of an insane tantrum. My body thanks me after I drink it, and I know yours will too. I have partnered with Organic Evolution because I love their matcha tea. It tastes just like Starbucks. I know you're going to love it too, and you're also going to love that Organic Evolution's matcha tea is available on Amazon Prime, which is hashtag mom life. So even though matcha tea won't keep your child from tantruming, it can help get you through it. Try it and see for yourself how good your body feels. Find Organic Evolution's matcha on Amazon in the show notes and try it for yourself. So I know we were talking before we started that this time of year is a tough time for you because this is around the time when it happened and it just starts to like bring up symptoms of PTSD and everything. So, you know, how do you manage that? How do you work through it? It is a tough time of year for me. And every year it gets a little bit easier than the year before, but it sneaks up on me and I'm usually a little more emotional or a little crankier, but I often lose moments. I freeze up or something triggers a bad memory for me. And I often have to sort of pause and ask myself, you know, why I'm reacting this way. Usually the season changing triggers it. And I've learned that PTSD uh, is often connected to, you know, the different smells that are associated um, with an event. It's something I've, I've learned. And I've also learned that GI issues are connected to neurons in our brain. So if you tend to get a lot of GI issues around PTSD at all, is connected. And I tend to get a lot of GI issues um, in general when I'm stressed and thinking about these things. So kind of just having knowledge about it is helpful and can help me manage my symptoms. And I talk about it and recognize it, you know, use relaxation methods. It's helpful. Do you still see a therapist? Um, sometimes I do. I've gone through times that I, you know, haven't, but when I need to, I do. And right now I do. <laughs> right this time of year, I do check in with somebody. That's amazing that like, you know, when, 
that needs to happen and you make it happen. You make it a priority. I think that's so good for you. Yeah. I think it's important for me and it's important for my children to do that. Yes. How about your kids? I mean, I know the younger one was a little person, but do they still have stress from everything they went through? They ask questions sometimes and our policy has been very open. You know, I've asked them if they have questions, you know, and if they do have questions, I answer honestly and as age appropriately as possible. You know, again, the the language has always been, you made some mistakes, everyone does, you know, and I, I tell them, you know, as they're getting older, some of the things that happened, but you know, that I, I did love him. Otherwise I wouldn't have married him. And I'm, I'm so glad I did marry him and that I knew him. Otherwise I wouldn't have them, that I'm grateful for the marriage. And I'm, I'm grateful that I knew him. They, I'm sure are the greatest blessings from everything. <laughs> So what have you learned just from like this whole thing? I have learned to trust myself, believe it or not. It sounds like I could have gone the other way with how can I trust myself? I picked the wrong person. But again, look what I got from this person with these two amazing, beautiful children and I And I know if anybody were to meet them, they'd be blown away with their awesomeness. I have learned to trust myself in ways of that I I got through this. I mean, I I got to the other side of this. So I can trust myself. I've learned that I can really count on my family, something I knew anyways, but Uh, My family relationships only strengthened in an amazing way. I learned that humanity is beautiful. I learned that he's an anomaly. He's not the rule. And I think that's really important that when life dishes you out something really, really terrible, to recognize that that doesn't mean that life is terrible, that It might just be the anomaly. It might just be that one thing. And to look for all the good that happens. There were so many wonderful people I met, so many wonderful strangers uh, I met. I I still won't forget (laughs) these two people I met, strangers I met in a McDonald's parking lot that were clearly hard up on their luck, saw me crying my eyes out with my back to my children, trying to hide the tears. And they just came up to me and I just sort of bawled my eyes out and shared a little bit of my story when it first happened. And they tried to give me $20. I mean, these people didn't have $20 to spare and I, I couldn't take it from them. And I just saw the best of humanity during my such a terrible time in my life. It was just amazing how my community came together and helped me out. The people I met at the food pantry were some of the best people I've ever met. Yeah, it was awful, but people are generally good people. That's so beautiful. 
I think it would be easy to really, really have a hard time trusting or (laughs) being okay with having people help and all of that. So just for that outlook is really lovely. Thank you for sharing that. Do you just want to share what the title of the book is about? And then we're going to talk maybe a little bit about writing it. Sure. So the title is Making Ends Meet with a Popcorn Popper. And people often ask, what's the popcorn popper all about? And I say, you got to read it to find out. You know, like you said, this, this book is sort of like a guide, a survival guide. And it's a, it's a quick read. You know, it's, it's broken out into five parts. You know, the first part is kind of your, your first critical steps when anybody's in a real bad financial situation. And if you're not, you know, in that real bad situation, you can skip to part two, which is basically changing the way you shop, you know, grocery wise and household shopping wise. And, and then part three, expecting the unexpected, how, how to manage that. And there's some stories in part three and, and part four about feeling pretty, like we talked about. And part five of the day-to-day differences. And in the stories that I talk about, there's a story about kind of making the most of of your day-to-day life. And sometimes when you don't have much money to spare and you make do with what you have, some beautiful things happen. And there's a story in there about my old popcorn popper. Even in the worst of times, sometimes you have to learn how to celebrate life. And you got to read the rest to find out more. Yes, definitely. So when did you decide to write this book? Like how many years after everything initially happened? Well, I like to write and I wanted to write actually something else. (laughs) But I decided that this would be a nice, easy practice project because it is a quick read and it morphed into something else altogether. I put it together bit by bit, a few, quite actually, I don't know what year it was, maybe 2015, I'm guessing. I I don't know. It was a few years ago. And I never put the table of contents together or proofed it or put the final touches. And it just sort of sat on my computer as some sort of document. My children were having some difficulties in school my child was not happy at school and things weren't going great in the public school system so i opted to pull my children out of the public school system and homeschool them and one of the things i learned when i first started homeschooling them was that they had a poor self-esteem about their performance in language arts. And I decided to take the opportunity to teach them about the editing process because they felt that editing made them feel like every time they edited a sentence, you know, fixed a word that had been written incorrectly, fixed a capital letter, fixed a punctuation mark that they it just sort of reinforced that they weren't doing well so I decided that if I could edit this old document that was sitting on my computer with them as they started to write that maybe we could do this together 
So I pulled out this old document and together my child and I, the one that was really suffering from the self-esteem, uh, worked and kind of worked side by side. And he started to see that his mother, who he thought didn't make mistakes writing, who makes tons of mistakes writing, was making a lot of mistakes and had to edit and re-edit and edit again. And I actually have a lot more edits I have to upload <laughs> And he saw that and he saw that that's just part of the process and he stopped being so scared about writing and he started to find his own writer's voice and it was a really beautiful process. And now he has a lot more esteem in uh, writing and a lot more enthusiasm. And now you homeschool them as well. Is that correct? I do. I do. I'm sure... I know it was all powerful for them now, but even like years down the road to be able to like look back and grasp that you wrote this and that they helped and you all lived through it is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So I know that you self-published this book, which I know is an entire entity unto itself, but do you want to just, you know, talk a little bit about that? It's a learning process. I know I've read lots of articles where, you know, it sort of presents as a very easy process. For me, it, it was at first, but I'm still learning. I had a hard time with parts of it, you know, and the next time around, I'm not so sure I would self-publish uh, because to make changes to, to things uh, can be a little bit difficult. There's a lot of moving parts to publishing any book. You know, the cover, the uh, table contents, making any changes to the manuscript, you know, all the, all the pieces, especially the cover, I have to say, is a real challenge. And to go to print can really take a toll on your time. So you really have to know what you're doing. If I were to self-publish again, I, I might hire some outside contractors to help me with the pieces that were really time-consuming. Then you start thinking, well, maybe I wouldn't self-publish at all. Maybe I would just hire a publisher. Yeah, no, I think that's good words of advice. We were talking about this, and I was impressed that Jacqueline self-published because I know it's an option. I know it's probably not easy to do. And she was like, I don't know if I should talk about it because I think I might not have good things to say. And I'm like, say it because you, who knows, maybe somebody listening is debating it. And they're like, this darn self-publishing is so hard. Like I hate it or whatever, you know? Okay. So that brings us to what is your next project? What do you see yourself working on next? I am not entirely sure. I have a few beginnings of ideas, but they are so in the early, early stages. I would like to write a fictional novel. I would like to consider a fictional novel or some more self-help guides around homeschooling. And those are so separate and so different. And that's why I say we are in the such early, early stages. I am still trying to finish the launch of Making Ends Meet completely because we are going to Audible in just a few short weeks. Uh, we're putting the finishing touches of that on. So I'm very excited about that. 
So that'll be available in September. Still talking to folks about it and trying to market the paperback and ebook. It's on Kindle and uh, the Audible will be available on iTunes as well. That's amazing. You've done many, many things for this. You should be so proud. Seriously. Thank you. Yes. And yay for Audible. That's so cool. I look forward to your next projects for sure. And I'm so glad that you put this out into the world and it's helping a lot of people, which is awesome. What would be your advice to a mom listening who is going through something so life-changingly hard? It is going to get better. The sun will always come up the next day. And by that, I mean, you're going to get through this. You are a mom. You are going to get through this. And no matter how tough things are, try and soak up the moments with your babies, whether they are one or whether they're 18. Soak it in. If you don't even have any money, just soak in their face and try to enjoy the moment. I'm telling you, I had some of the most joyous moments when I had nothing. That first Christmas when I didn't even have money for a Christmas tree and someone was kind enough to buy one for me and I didn't even have, you know, couches or anything to like sit on around it. All I had in that room was a Christmas tree. People purchased the gifts to put under the Christmas tree for my kids that year. That was probably the best Christmas I ever had. In the worst of times, you can have some of the greatest joy. You can find strength within you. It is within you. You just have to trust yourself. And it's okay to trust yourself no matter what someone has done to you. What someone has done to you is about them. And how you respond is up to you. That's very powerful. Well, I think you're incredible. Just your outlook and your insight and being willing to talk about this and being willing to not say, I'm just going to, you know, sit here and hope that things get better. Like you made them better. You did it. You not only had to find this path on your own, but then you wanted to share what you learned so that others could find help too. So really, really awesome. And super, super inspiring. If you will, could you tell people like where they can find the book and find more of you and everything like that? If you guys couldn't guess, Jacqueline is writes this book under an alias. I did not realize this right away, but it is not her real name. It just shows you how hard she is working to protect her children. So that was a side note, but where can people find the book and, and learn more about it? On Amazon, you can go and soon to be on Audible. But when it's on Audible, it will also be on Amazon. But you can also find me on JacquelineLucia.com and you can find the link there as well. But the title, again, is Making Ends Meet with a Popcorn Popper. And Jacqueline Lucia is JacquelineLucia.com. Yes, and we will have the link to the website um, in the show notes so that you can click directly to it. So just out of curiosity, how did you pick this alias name for the book? I just like both names. <laughs> they were just, 
there's really no rhyme or reason. I just like both names and put them together. Yeah, well, it sounds good. Yeah, and this is a, another random question, but I know we had talked about it on the phone. How long did it take to have your credit score come up so that you could you know, have a credit card and things like that? That, again, was bit bit at a time. I mean, right now it's back to where it was, and it's been you know, quite a number of years. I want to say it took at least six or seven years before it got to where uh, it once was. Wow. If I were you, I'd probably wear a shirt that says, ask me what my credit score is after going through all of that. That was one thing that really bothered me because I did nothing to deserve that. And, you know, you can make money back and you can you can do a lot of things, but it's, and that, that really bothered me. I, I had not caused that. Definitely. So I could talk to you for so much longer and I'm just truly in all of your story. I really am. I think every part of it is hard, is challenging, but you are truly living life so beautifully and it's super inspiring. So last question before we go, and that's what does moms who rule the world mean to you? I think moms are incredible. I think that we have uh, an innate strength within us. We need to trust in more often. And we're able to, when we do tune into that strength, we're able to do just about anything. You have proven that. And I also want to add that during this time that I went through, I... I was, you know, able to do a lot, but I couldn't have done all of this without the help that my family gave me. I mentioned my father, I mentioned my mother, and I mentioned a sister. Um, but my family really came to support me and were really rallied around me. And I'd be remiss if I didn't really say how much help they gave me. You know, they were with me all the way through this ordeal, day in and day out, you know, and I'm ever so grateful. I'm sure it was their honor to be there for you like that. And that is what family is for, (laughs) the good and the bad. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for sharing your story. I know it's not easy to talk about. Even years later, it's not easy to talk about. And I'm just honored to have you and for people to learn more about you and to read Making Ends Meet with a Popcorn Popper. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Amy. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So thank you so much, moms listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. We're all in this together, making ends meet with a popcorn popper included. And I'm so thankful for you listening. 